Hello. And welcome back. This is to season, season two. two of Does, Does This Cat Is Study? We spoke to Dr. Michael Holland, who is a music professional technician expert. He's, yeah, he's done a lot of producing. He's looked, he's worked with a lot of bands, a lot of famous ones, The Chills, if you know them. Um, he's now a lecturer at the uni, and he was just giving us a lot of advice on how to more professional in your in your stage presence yeah for any novice DJs technicians stage performance advice producers we got you covered keep listening and we will provide some insight into the music industry and how to make it enjoy yeah alright guys um, you're joined here with myself Henry and your host Kate Pitches as well and today we have a very special guest who's a legend in the Dunedin music scene, <laughs> um, Michael Holland. Kia ora, hey. It's Welcome. nice to be here. Yeah. yeah. Thank you for coming on the show. Yeah. Welcome on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm excited to, to chat in this lovely little studio here. It's going to be fun. Yeah. Very comfortable. Yeah. So we've invited you on the show because we've had a lot of interest in students who want to improve their music and kind of production skills and techniques from our experiences there's a lot of like kind of dmb underground <laughs> party type music and so any kind of skills and things in that aspect would be yeah. largely appreciated all the way to the surf rock bands as well everyone kind of just, yeah. the music everyone wants to get better at their their own type of music exactly let's dive in yeah um so to start off like, we'd want to know, like, what led you here to being a professor of music at Otago? Um, a, a lot of things. I, I'm, I'm not quite a professor, but maybe one day. Um, so I, I work as a lecturer in the, the School of Performing Arts, which is, is the, the best job ever. I get to hang out with lots of amazing young creative people. And I also, you know, I have colleagues in um, dance and theatre and all sorts of um, a really diverse range of music disciplines as well. Um, but I ended up here, it was kind of a, a winding sort of a path. I came to Dunedin maybe 15, nearly not quite 20 years ago, I'm not that old, mm-hmm. um, to study music. Um, and through the way I got involved in, in playing in bands, um, and I was kind of, you know, the archetypal drummer who plugs all of the stuff in. Um and eventually I got really interested in live sound. I started touring with um, some really great friends of mine who are still making music. Uh, the the folks in a band called Left or Right, I think they've been going for nearly 12 years now. Whoa. But I vividly remember, you know, like climbing in a van for a New Zealand tour that someone had booked and no one really knew what they were doing or, or like how touring worked or how shows really worked. Um, and we learned a lot together along the way. And somewhere in the middle of that, I um, had the opportunity to come back and study as a master's student, and then I went on to, to study in a doctoral program here as well. And um, kind of through meeting people and just persistently, you know, being the person that, that turned up to make the shows and the recordings work, mm-hmm. I sort of ended up um, with more and more interesting opportunities, um, and I've sort of been attached to sort of two or three artists now for the last sort of seven or eight years, um, and I've been really lucky to, you know, tour all around the world doing live sound things and work in studios all over the place mm-hmm. as well, um, mostly through just building those kind of relationships and, 
Yeah. So building first and kind of being the person that's always around doing the, like, learning as you go along all the little pieces. What would you say some of your favorite moments are along the way? Um, there's, there have been a few. Um, it, this is a, a archetypal, you know, war story, but we, we ended up, um, with an artist I work with, uh, heading to Thailand for a recording session that was sort of funded by a, a management company. And it was quite incongruous. Like it was a, a sort of indie rock band from Dunedin going to make a recording in, in, in the middle of kind of nowhere in Thailand. What band was it? This was with the Chills. Oh, um, yeah. Uh, lovely bunch of humans and, and well-known, you know, band from the 1980s Dunedin music period. We'll awesome, use those terms yeah. for now. But I remember um, getting in a the the van that was provided by the studio to take us um, take us to the the studio site, which had like a sort of live-in situation. And after about three hours of sitting in the van and driving deeper and deeper into the jungle and, and us all wondering if, if this might have actually been more of an abduction than a, um, a sort of trip to a recording studio, the van stopped outside this big concrete wall and there's a person standing there um, armed outside this, this sort of big wall of a compound and, and they sort of open the door and, and look at us and, and in that moment all of us thought, oh, we, we we might be going to die. <laughs> but the, the, oh my god! The next thing the person said was, "Hey, welcome to the recording studio. We're so glad you're here." And we went inside, and it was it was this amazing, <laughs> sort of very beautiful, but very some, some, not quite over the top. Like it, it was a really lovely experience, actually. Um, but just that first few hours of you know getting off a plane and then being driven somewhere and having no idea where I was going. Yeah. Um, often with touring, I people will at least tell you vaguely what to expect um you're just completely in the deep end you're like boom yeah some of those experiences just been, yeah been really fun just traveling that's seriously cool because you're a producer for them right um i've worked on a few of their recordings i mostly look after their um their live sound yeah. and the uh, sort of production around you know concerts and touring and that kind of thing um but it's one of those those lovely relationships where you you work with a group of people over 10 years and um yeah, it, it's. I've been really thankful, I guess, to to be able to share some of that kind of journey, and and they're such an amazing group as well. They've been going for decades and decades, and so some of the the stories they have are far better than any of mine, to be honest. Though, like talking about the um, producing studio, because um, and actually a lot of people don't you know that um, Otago's got a really really nice facility, and um, would you like to say something about the paper and the course and what you get to use and yeah sure so um we have just moved into some new facilities actually um about sort of 12 to 18 months ago plus minus covid i guess um it's a, a purpose-built recording facility um with sort of three suites of, of really really great studios um the largest one is called tui they're all named after new zealand native birds which is lovely um and we use that space for recording sessions um but we also teach a lot of our classes in there um, and we run courses all the way through a degree program at, at all levels of undergraduate and then masters and, and doctoral as well. And our students use those studios for a lot of like group project work. Um, one of my favorite things about our courses is we'll have people learning music production who are linked up with people who write songs or people who are music performers and they, they work together to, to create something. Um, 
hopefully great and wonderful and yeah. meaningful. And that sounds incredible, like incredible opportunities for students. Yeah, to we, have that. me and Kate popped in yesterday, and it's an absolutely incredible building. For, it seems like crazy to actually for students to be, be able to use. Yeah, it is. Yeah. It's it's the something I'm eternally kind of thankful for, and also universities are are quite rare in that um, universities and and other sort of training institutes um, and a few other types of organizations or people um, are still building large recording studios, but, but there are fewer and fewer of them. So it's really great that we, we have that facility here and and we use it for a a wide range of purposes. So what do you think of the phrase Dunedin sound? How does it misrepresent what the music industry is actually like in Dunedin? Yeah, this is the, um, something that I've I've spent a lot of time thinking about, and um, my my friend and um, and sort of fellow researcher, um, associate professor Ollie Wilson, uh, have actually published some some material on this because it's it's a term that's become kind of loaded, it's thrown around a bit. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's something that I. Um, that that I've found to be it, it means so many things now that it's it's almost become meaningless. But there's one particular way that that it's used, whereby people say people take the idea, the logic, like, oh, you're from Dunedin and you you're holding a guitar, therefore, mm-hmm. let's use the phrase Dunedin sound to describe what you do. Like a generalization. Yeah, and by kind of lumping, you know, a really diverse bunch of musicians. Um, together under that one umbrella uh i know some some people that we talked to and and interviewed in our research found that to really sort of deny them their own sense of of agency and purpose and and sometimes it puts some really strange the use of the word dunedin sound in that way lumps you know um people who might have like quite extreme and intense politically motivated approaches to making music together with people who just want to have a few glasses of lemonade and party and not Mm. think too hard about what it is they're doing or the kind of cultural significance. All of those things are great, but it makes no sense and it's quite problematic. To try and lump it all into one thing, would you say? Yeah. You can almost call it the Dunedin music industry because it's, well, not Mm. like rather than saying the Dunedin sound because it ranges from students to like people in the jazz jazz clubs and, and yeah all that. and Otipoti Dunedin is this amazing place it's having lived here now for for nearly two decades um it, yeah it, it's sort of geography plays a role in the size of the city uh the university plays a massive role in the music culture here but also the population kind of demographics are really really important you know like I'm I'm so glad um on every level, but especially in terms of like the, the music in, in Dunedin that, you know, two or 3,000 young people turn up every year and about the same number finish their studies and leave. And that sort of wash in and out of, of young creative humans is, I think, sort of almost more important now than those things people talk about with the, the Dunedin sound, you know, the, the myths of like, oh, it's isolated and cold and the technology's all a bit tricky and, you know, that, that, was true and still kind of is, but but actually it's it's more about the vibrant kind of wash of of humans coming and going. I think yeah. now. 
Well, speaking of the vibrant wash, what <laughs> would you say your favorite song that you've helped produce is and why? Would it be vibrant? Would it be? Um, that's a really tricky question to answer. <laughs> um, I, I guess I just, I'll use a recent example. Um, I really enjoyed working with um, Adelaide Cara on their latest release. Um, Adelaide came through our, our course and has then gone on to do wonderful things. Um, and I was just helping with the mixing of their record. Um, there's a track on that called Ships in the Night. Ships in the Night. Which is, yeah. Um, it, it's it's just a... Uh, the, the thing that I really enjoy in, in production situations is where there aren't really kind of boundaries or reservations. You know, I, I'm, I'm no longer a fan of, of the whole, like, let's, let's make it sound exactly like the band playing live thing. And working with Adelaide was really fun because both of us had this approach of let's make everything sound like it's, you know, running through extreme amounts of distortion and like sort of let's make everything sound wrong and bad, but hopefully good. As well, <laughs> I'm worried that Adelaide's going to hear this and think, "Oh, you're describing my album." <laughs> Big shout yeah. out to Adelaide though, because she's helped us out with this podcast as well. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Anyone listening along, ships in the night, give yeah. it a listen. Spooky. Yeah. Um, well, we really wanted to talk a lot about um, in this podcast is like ways to improve, like well, students or just anyone listening to this podcast can improve their own music, but it's kind of hard to. Like pick out all of the musicians and say this will help everyone. <laughs> so we've kind of split it out into different ca- uh, categories, and we want some like. Firstly, a lot of students came to us and asked how can they improve um, their sound and the way they act on stage when they're DJing or like yeah, at like more of like a party scene. Yeah, and this is something that um, I'm uh, laughably underqualified to to probably talk about. You know the the sort of um, specific process of DJing. I, I, I am not a great DJ. I'm, I'm almost as bad a DJ as I am a singer. But um, uh, I do, you know, I've been really lucky to work um, at a range of shows where people are performing all forms of electronic music. Um, and I also see a lot of really talented humans in our, in our programs who are, who are great electronic producers and DJs. And so one of the things that... Um, seems a bit obvious but that's really important to understand is managing like volume levels and dynamic range so understanding when things are so loud that they're being squashed either deliberately or accidentally um understanding the various points in in your kind of signal flow where you have control over the levels um and making sure that you're not you know accidentally trying to ram too much audio level um, through something that that doesn't have enough room, doesn't have enough headroom. Um, you know, one of the 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 best challenges for anyone who's starting out uh, performing in a live context is how can we make this loud and clear and not noisy while keeping every single meter in the green. That's kind of advice mm. for life, really, <laughs> in music production. But so often you see people who are like, I want it loud, so I'll turn up. A thing and suddenly it actually gets smaller and more distorted and, and weird mm-hmm. and the other thing is really um in, in all forms of performance um how people rehearse is it confuses me i guess um 
it took me a long time to realize that that there were ways to to rehearse for performance that weren't so much about do we know the song and can we play it and what happens after that which is full kind of production rehearsal where it's you know everyone leaves the room and they walk into their their intro track or whatever and they run whole shows as though there's an audience there sometimes you bring an audience in for your rehearsal mm-hmm. and doing that over and over and over again um it's not a substitute for playing lots of shows that's the only way to get great but it, it comes close and it can help make you feel a lot more comfortable if you know when i start my set i'm going to do that thing that i practice doing which is probably really weird to do if you're in a student flat and you're like <laughs> walking up to your decks from the door of your lounge or something. I get that that's weird. But, you know, even if it's, um, especially in, in those contexts, often you're dealing with, you know, either like loading tracks, um, or like networking devices together or you're, you know, trying to interface your laptop with something. It's a good idea to rehearse that. It's because that's often the thing that, that goes awry and that then makes it really stressful. So it's like, oh, you know. So kind of create, it's not just about making the product and presenting the product. It's the whole experience of your DJing. And would you say that that's kind of the gist of Yeah, totally. And the other thing that I've, I've been really privileged to sort of see from the side of a lot of stages and just working on shows is the level of um, audiovisual production now that goes into, you know, sort of large-scale electronic music performance. So... So much of what separates an amazing experience at a festival watching an electronic artist is, of course, what's coming out of the speakers, but it's also the way that that's tied to the video content and the the lighting um, and the way that that evolves over a show to kind of maintain interest and and maintain sort of pace. Um, And so, again, some of that can be challenging to do, I guess, on a limited kind of budget, but, you know... um, Everyone has has access to a couple of lights. I was at a mm-hmm. show recently where someone had two um, two like builders work lights that they'd bought from Mitre Ten, and then at a key moment in the show, they had uh, someone. I think it was a parent of theirs actually sneak up behind the stage and flick the wall switch to turn the lights on, and it was actually amazing. And I was like, "That's Yo. cool." Someone's thought about the visual production for it's this. creativity. Mm. So if you don't have the money to buy the thousands of dollars worth of lights. Yeah, make, make your own type. Yeah, iPhone mm. lights. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, <clears throat> sorry, to tie on from that, um, because that's more like live performances. How do you reckon? What's like really good advice for people getting into the music industry, especially if they want to produce? They would also obviously do the live performance and stuff, but more people who want to make their own music using like um, DAWs or. Sorry, what is a DAW? Ah, DAW, uh, Digital Audio Workstation. Um, okay. And so people use the term f- to mostly now to refer to software. You might have heard of like Logic or Pro Tools or GarageBand. Um, <clears throat> sorry. Um, but uh, initially it was used to refer to like the whole computer and all the stuff attached to it. Um, it's a very, very nerdy sounding term. But I think if people are interested in... in getting into to sort of work in the music industry um it's a funny thing like my my good friend sort of talks about the idea that you don't you don't sort of find a job in in music or in the creative industries you kind of have to sort of make one um and so a lot of it's about building a building a portfolio like producing as much as you can and finishing those things and releasing them for an audience to hear you know not just being that person with like 
all the almost finished stuff on your hard drive mm. and and through that building relationships and um honestly uh some people in my life probably laugh at this but um i i've been lucky to to get a lot of opportunities just by sort of um being around and I think being kind of easy to work with and um, making people feel comfortable in production scenarios. Like we all know the archetypal person who's great at something, but who is just awful to spend time with. (laughs) Um, And so, yeah, building relationships and, and being really persistent and finishing things um, is, is the same with live performance. You know, there's, there's no substitute for actually performing live over and over again. Um, and the other thing in production is just just understanding your audience and the the other people who are working in your area and trying to reach out to those humans. Um, I'm always really really excited when students sort of come and say, "Oh, I'm really interested in getting into live sound. You know, what should I be doing?" And 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 it's really nice to link those people up with some some opportunities. Um, it doesn't it doesn't happen quite as often as I might think. I feel like. Um, there's a real trap where people just spend a lot of time sitting at a computer with their headphones working on their stuff. Yeah. It's important to remember that actually, you know, when you're producing music, you're trying to make something meaningful for lots of people. So the more you can bring those people in early and share your ideas and, and, you know, um, so what I'm hearing is kind of make it into more of a feedback process. You know, I, I completely understand like how it just, you kind of get a bit tunnel vision and, like headphones and making music and it's all great but just mm. kind of being like hey what do you think of this or hey yeah would you say that that would be a, a way to improve the skills and set you know, sound technician yeah and also you know you, you you did right and and you also you know i i remember really really fondly um uh being um slightly younger person getting into this this kind of area and having a whole load of people around me who could you know someone can play the drums and someone can can sing and arrange backing vocals and um you know someone is really really great at like um making amazing sounds with synthesizers just because you're okay at those things doesn't mean that that you shouldn't especially early on have a go at working with some other people because you can you can share some skills and you can learn a lot and you also create you know another person in your kind of in your corner who's going to go and say oh, I sung on this thing for someone and it was really cool like um you know there are lots of basic sort of there are lots of skills based things mm-hmm. the, the fundamentals that that we teach and that people learn through doing themselves as well but i think the thing that people don't talk about is is the sort of the personal connections and and like the the sort of relationship building aspect of this because it's supposed to be social and fun (laughs) you know when you mean like you're involved with other people would you also like not feed off their ideas but would you use their opinions and stuff in your own creation yeah totally and it, it also um that's a really important aspect of of uh working in a production context is um dealing with the room where there are four humans and four very strong opinions and um and trying to kind of uh develop your your skills at at negotiating that and and working out how to experiment with ideas in a way that gets you to the the best possible outcome with the fewest possible 
yelling matches. Mm. You're talking um, about experimenting. Um, I'm a sucker for kind of music that sounds different or like new, like with new ideas and stuff. What's like ways that or creativity like you have used or like you've heard that you really love in music? Um, yeah, so I, I'm a big fan. Like I, I spend a lot of time, uh, I guess I'm really lucky to spend quite a lot of time in my, my work. Kicks the mic stand. I'll say <laughs> it again. Um, I've, I've been really lucky, uh, to spend lots of time in my work. Um, doing a lot of recording of acoustic instruments, people playing the drums and guitar and piano and singing and that kind of thing. Um, and I really love that, but I especially love, uh, creative uses of like objects and spaces. So a really obvious example that people might know is, you know, the, the Billie Eilish track with the, the, the traffic crossing sound sample and then like the match as the snare drum and like a lot of that stuff that Phineas is doing is a kind of cool example of this. Um, but I also like using buildings and physical spaces like yeah you can you can use like a reverb or an echo effect in software if you want to make it sound like you're singing in a bigger space but you can actually just take a singer into a really interesting sounding hallway or i've i've made recordings and like um there's a what used to be a sort of mental health facility out on the coast um north of dunedin uh sea view sea sea cliff yeah yeah um and the main building kind of burnt down. Um, there's some really amazing history there, if, you, if you're if you interested. And I'd recommend reading Janet Frame's novel that was based on her experience there as well. Anyway, um, that part of the world is amazing, uh, especially because lots of some of the old buildings are still there, like some of the big old like kitchen buildings uh, and the, the stables and the workshops. And so I spent a week out there making a record, as other folks who I now know have, have had done previously. I wasn't sort of aware at the time. But that was really amazing, just having people sing in these huge cavernous spaces and like mm-hmm. recording drums and what was, you know, a building designed for horses to hang out and eat hay in, but actually a really great sounding room. And it's such a different feeling for people to perform in that, those kinds of spaces. They probably mm-hmm. perform differently than they would in a studio because of the atmosphere and the environment. Yeah. And the thing I like is it takes, it takes your power away as the person producing. You're no longer sort of, the person behind the glass with the ability to say no that wasn't so good do it again because you have to sort of be quiet and yeah go with the flow (laughs) and it's 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 really cool i like i like it when people get to feel you know like like some sort of special agency yeah like they feel empowered to do their own make their own music do it how they see it yeah yeah you're very right yeah yeah. On that note, well, thank you so much for coming on the show and cool. giving us your feedback, advice. Yeah. That's been awesome. It's so interesting. Um, I actually have a point before. Did you hear that? Um, what was the person who wrote the book in Seacliff? Uh, Janet Frame. Yeah. She, wasn't she about to get a lobotomy before yes. um, she wrote the book and then published the book and then realized everyone was like, oh, my God, she's, yeah. she's insane. Whoa. I... Um, I was really fortunate as a, an undergrad student. I, I also studied English. Um, and Simone Dreichel, who I think is still teaching here, gave this amazing 400 level course on Janet Frame's work. And it, it kind of changed my view of literature and creativity. And, and it was incredible. Uh, and that was, it was really strange how that sort of tied into that later project. Working out at Sequel, if I, I just kept thinking about that. Um, and so, yeah, there's, there's some really amazing history around this 
part of the world, yeah. just just under the surface. Yeah, it's pretty historic. <laughs> oh my God. That's yeah. so cool to actually record there. But yeah, thank you so much. And I hope everyone listening along learned something about music production or just general applicable yeah. skills. Yeah, like may, may have inspired some new producers or, or live DJs. Or, Next generation on the rise. Yeah. yeah, well, hopefully. Hey, look, thank you so much for having me. This 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 has been so fun. I'm, I'm so glad this this podcast exists. I've been really enjoying <laughs> just listening through. Well, so. thank you. Yeah, Thanks thank for doing you. that. It's been so fun. Cool. There was a Radio 191 FM podcast. You can find more of them at r1.co.nz forward slash podcast.